0: Sephora, we know how you love to use makeup, skincare, hair care, and fragrances that work for you. But also, how important it is to be in the know about the ingredients that are in them. Which is why we created Clean at Sephora, curated products from brands like Merit, Amica, Summer Fridays, and Fleur that have everything you want minus certain ingredients you might not. Clean at Sephora is only at Sephora. Shop now at Sephora.com.
4: Hey, it's your host, Carter. I wanted to give you a little bit of a warning. Kids who are under the age of 13 might find some parts of our show a little bit scary, so listener discretion is advised. Now, enjoy the show. Senator Goebel, we've conferred among ourselves. We don't think it's prudent for you to attend the debate. You think my feelings will get hurt? Not your feelings, your body. Rumors of assassination attempts are still flying. People want to kill you.
1: No. William S. Taylor wants to kill me, so his path to the governorship is unimpeded. He's gonna be disappointed. You
4: really
0: ought to send someone to take notes and report.
1: I could go. No. At very least, take
4: a bodyguard.
1: Since you insist, I'll take two. Colonel Chin and Colonel Lillard. We're going to the election committee's debate. I'll call for a carriage. Nonsense.
2: We will walk. I'll go ahead and inspect the building before you enter, sir. Really, don't trouble yourself. I'll trouble myself.
0: (sighs) Threats have been made, the militia's out. It's better to be safe, Governor.
1: I'm not Governor yet, but I like your line of thinking.
4: Welcome to Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm Carter Roy.
3: And I'm Wendy McKenzie.
4: Today, we continue our investigation into the murder of William Goble.
3: This is episode 14 of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, and episode two of the investigation into the William Goble murder. If you want to review an episode of Unsolved Murders, or to hear our investigation into other cases, you can find them all on your favorite podcast directory. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also listen on our website, parcast.com, spelled P A R C A S T.com. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. And now back to William Goebel, the only U.S. governor to be assassinated while in office.
4: A poor boy from Pennsylvania, Goebel made a name for himself as the people's lawyer, amassing a fortune in lawsuits against railroads and corporations. Regular folks loved him, and he won a seat on the Kentucky Senate.
3: But William Goebel had enemies.
4: Milton H. Smith, who owned a monopoly of railroads. Do you really think my little railroads are worth taxing at $3 million?
0: You're taxing the dickens out of me.
3: Theodore Hallam and Harvey Myers, wealthy lawyers who hated Goebel's politics. Rot in hell, more like rotten appeals court. You aren't the only
1: one losing a lot of money over this. I may have to sell my summer home.
4: And John Sanford whose anger over increased bridge tolls spurred public insults and, ultimately, a duel.
0: I'm going to kill Goble or be killed.
4: John Sanford was a man of his word. William Goble shot him dead on the street in 1896, then promptly turned himself into the police, claiming self-defense. If found guilty of dueling, Goble would never hold public office again.
3: Today, we're picking up with William Goble, charged for murder under a second grand jury, the first having determined that there wasn't enough evidence to indict.
1: Prosecution calls Thomas T. Riley to the stand.
4: I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth.
1: Mr. Riley, you are part owner in the ledger, yes? Sure am. And so you are familiar with the article referring to the prosecution's deceased client, Mr. John Sanford, having an unspeakable disease? Yes sir. Was that article written by Senator Goebel or was he in any way instrumental in its publication?
4: I decline to answer. Objection.
1: Mr. Riley, was Senator Goebel involved in the publication?
4: I decline to state.
2: If you refuse to answer you will be sent to jail for contempt of court.
3: I refuse
4: to answer your honor.
2: Take Mr. Riley to jail.
3: After an hour in jail, Thomas Riley admitted that the original draft of the Gonorrhea John article was in William Goebel's handwriting.
4: But would that be enough for the jury to find Goebel guilty of dueling? Has the jury made their decision?
3: The second grand jury had a tough decision to make.
4: In a later newspaper article detailing the case, W.W. W. Tarvin described the jury as such
0: The Hartford Herald, Hartford, Kentucky, Wednesday, October 11th, 1899. My jury was composed of six good citizens. One,
1: an ex-sheriff. One, the principal of a district public school. And one who has since served a term as president of the Board of Aldermen and is now county assessor.
3: And the other three were honest, reliable working men. What Tarvin doesn't note is that the jury was almost all Democrats, as was the judge.
2: The bill, Your Honor. Thank you. The grand jury has decided. William Goebel. Fired in self defense and shall be hereby cleared of all charges.
3: He threatened my livelihood and murdered my husband. Oh, Theodore, how could someone get away with that?
2: There, there,
4: Kate. We aren't done with William Goble yet.
0: Widow Sanford sues Senator Goble for damages.
4: And so William Goble was dragged into another lawsuit, this time against Sanford's widow, Kate, who was represented by Goble's old enemy. Theodore Hallam.
3: And it wasn't just Sanford versus Goebel, it was Union versus Confederacy. John Sanford was a Confederate veteran, and Kate Sanford, the niece of General Marshall. William Goebel, meanwhile, was the son of a Union soldier. Even after 30 years, Civil War loyalties ran deep in Kentucky.
2: My client was robbed of her husband, her children robbed of a father, society robbed of an upstanding gentleman. The least William Goebel could do is provide minor monetary reparations.
3: Kate Sanford sought $10,000 in damages.
4: Though he was wealthy, William Goebel could never concede to Theodore Hallam by paying the damages. It would make him look even guiltier of murdering John Sanford. So, he fought the lawsuit.
3: And just as we'd expect from an expert lawyer, Goebel won.
4: And it didn't hurt that, once again, the judges were Democrats who favored Goebel.
3: Kate Sanford did not take it well. (laughs) (laughs) My husband was murdered, murdered I tell you. His ghost will haunt William Goebel until the day he dies and beyond.
0: (laughs) Mrs. Kate Sanford insane, widow of victim William Goebel, nominee for governor of Kentucky, loses her mind.
4: Shortly after losing her trial, Mrs. Sanford was legally declared mentally unsound and institutionalized for the rest of her life.
3: And William Goebel got off scot-free. With the Sanfords out of the way, Goebel was free to continue his political career, which he did with relish.
4: William Goebel grew into a political boss, attaining offices for men who agreed with him, who would in turn hire men who agreed with them. He held power over the whole state of Kentucky.
3: This is when he earned the nicknames like the Kenton King and Boss Bill. And with his booming voice, he certainly sounded like a boss.
1: We need to change the system. The electoral
4: commission is rigged. In 1894, Goebel was elected President Pro Tem of the Kentucky State Senate, and in 1898, he
3: used his power to push forward a new legislative bill. Goebel asserted that the county election commissioners were biased due to the 1895 election of Republican Governor William Bradley and the 1896 election of Republican President William McKinley, even though Kentucky was a blue state.
4: The law would replace current election officials with three member state board of election commissioners, who would be chosen by the General Assembly annually. These officials would go on and select an election commissioner for each county in Kentucky.
3: But wait, wasn't a General Assembly majority Democrat at the time? Yes. So this was just a way for Goebel and the Democrats to get more power.
4: Basically. As President Pro Tem, Goebel would be in charge of hiring the people who would hire the people who would be sure to hire him.
3: A vicious cycle.
4: It certainly wasn't very democratic, which was very clear to both parties as the law was met with heavy opposition all around. Goal is a
0: political upstart. This is an outrage. He'll become a boss difficult to overthrow. He already is a boss.
4: It'll
3: get worse. Even the Democrats feel antagonized. His own party. Many politicians saw the bill for what it was. (coughs) Self-serving. (coughs) Um...
4: The governor, William Bradley, vetoed the bill promptly after it passed.
2: At the very least, the board must include representatives from both parties. It cannot be controlled by
4: singular interests.
3: But the Gobel election law passed over the governor's veto.
4: Another legal victory for William Gobel.
3: Legal victory or ruthless power grab?
4: Well, Goebel himself admitted the bill's function later in a letter to his brother, Justice.
1: I shall not permit any man to be elected mayor on the Democratic ticket unless he is entirely satisfactory to me. I shall beat any man that I do not like with the election commission. Next year, I shall attend to the matter myself, whether I'm elected governor or not. This is going to be a hot right between me and Hardin for the nomination.
0: The New York Times, August 13, 1899. The Kentucky Campaign. Mr. Goebel opens the Democratic fight for the governorship.
3: William Goebel was joining an already divided Democratic race. Also vying for the party's nomination were William J. Stone and Parker Watkins Hardin, who was known as P. Watt or Watt.
4: P. Watt had been the party's choice in the 1895 race and was funded by the L&N. William Stone was a former congressman, ex-Confederate soldier who had lost a leg in the war, but was favored by rural populists and the Free Silver Movement. So, Stone and Goebel were competing for many of the same anti-L&N, n Democrat voters.
3: As a result of that split, it appeared that the party would nominate P. Watt Hardin.
4: But Goebel was determined that wouldn't happen. Senator Goebel. Congressman Stone. Do you need help getting in? Don't patronize
0: me. Pegleg does fine. Of course. How do you feel about red wine? I prefer something harder if you're offering. Judge, Redwine. Oh yes, your man for the temporary chairman. Well hell, he's not Roarin' Bill, and Roarin' Bill's gonna get the nomination. Not if Hardin wins. That does seem a mite too likely.
1: Unless, of course, you were to get more delegates. Say, uh, half of Kenton County.
0: Are you dropping out of the race?
1: That would be rather foolish. I merely want to stop old Watt from stealing the nomination. What do you say we uh, form an alliance?
0: What do you want in return for your delegates?
1: Nothing large. Just selection of the down ballot, including David Redwine.
0: My delegates wouldn't be too pleased with that.
1: Will they be more pleased with P. Watt nominated?
0: Is it the only way to stop him?
1: As Far as I can tell.
0: I believe you are right, sir. We must stop Hardin. Whatever it takes.
1: Good. Now, uh, mums the word. Naturally.
3: A secret alliance formed on a midnight carriage ride. Enemies united to destroy a mutual threat. But would each man hold to his promise?
4: Even if they did, would it work? I'm looking at you, hashtag Stop Trump Movement.
3: Right. We saw how that turned out for this year's Republican candidates. Gobel and Stone's alliance was risky. Even with their chosen candidates allied, delegates don't always agree.
4: Like Bernie Sanders supporters at this year's DNC.
3: Bernie, our bus, Bernie, our
4: bus, Bernie, our bus. Bernie Sanders fed us Mountain Dew, now he wants us to go to bed and it's not going to happen. I've come here to fight, not capitulate.
3: Bernie our bus! Bernie our bus! Bernie
1: our
4: bus! In the elected temporary chairman of Kentucky's Democratic Convention is Circuit Judge David Redwine. This election is rigged! We want Roaring Bill! The Music Hall Convention was chaos. It was four days of yelling fighting, and pistol-whipping for the party to adopt their platforms, all before the candidates could even be formally announced for the convention.
3: Redwine was unpopular, but pushed the delegates to adopt Goebbels chosen platform, including the Chin Bill, which was an anti-monopoly upholding the Gobel election law, and the McCord Railroad Bill, which would regulate freight rates.
4: And here's the kicker. If nominated, P. Watt Hardin wouldn't be able to adopt this platform. His campaign was largely funded by the L&N Railroad, which was vehemently against the loss of revenue the McCord bill would cause.
3: So the L&N Railroad, Goebbels' long enemy, got involved in politics. Now,
0: now, all in favor of the candidate supporting the McCord Railroad bill. Order, order. Well then, I'll leave the stage for a
2: moment. Like hell you will. I will shoot if you leave your post, Chairman, Redwine. Understood, sir.
3: The convention got dangerous, especially when over 100 L&N lobbyists stormed the music hall.
0: The McCord bill will restrict the L&N railroad. No, McCord! McCord is bad for
1: trade. The McCord bill will kill the economy. Order! Order! Redwine, we must get these men in order or nothing will be done. I don't
0: know what I can do.
2: I have an idea. The sun shines bright in the old Kentucky home While the birds make music all the day The young folks roll on the little cabin floor All merry, all happy, and bright by and by hard times comes a-knocking at the door, then my old Kentucky
3: home, good night. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices up
3: And now let's continue the story. It's a testament to Judge Redwine's diplomacy that he was able to get the McCord bill on the party's official platform, which the chosen candidate would have to adopt.
4: Though he had to bring in the police to get control of the convention.
3: For which Hardin accused Redwine and Goebel of using intimidation tactics.
4: After four days of convening, everyone was exhausted.
1: Boys, with the adoption of the McCord railroad bill, I cannot be nominated choose Gobel or Stone? The Pew. It's a conflict of interest. LNN is my biggest supporter.
3: We're all pro railroad. We cannot endorse the party's platform. We cannot endorse Gobel or Stone. And they didn't. Pewat supporters nominated him anyway, and after four long days of voting, the delegates were split three ways. It is hot as Satan's asshole. Sir. You need to go home to your wife, and so do I.
4: We could reconvene later. Let men ruminate on the split vote. Men, I have a proposal.
1: We vote again. Now, I know you aren't gung-ho for that, but this time, after the 25th vote has been cast, the man with the lowest total shall drop out, leaving us to vote once more to nominate one of the two remaining candidates.
0: All in favor... Boone County. Boone County has 12 delegates in favor.
3: Jefferson County. Jefferson County has 14 delegates in favor. Kenton County. And so they voted again. But here's where Goebel
4: took a gamble. William Goebel asked several of his delegates not to vote for him, but instead to vote for P. Watt Harden.
3: Goebel knew that Stone supporters hated Hardin so much, with Stone out of the race, they would vote Goebel. Of
4: course, this broke Goebel and Stone's alliance to stop Hardin. That's
0: 25. William Stone has the lowest number of votes. Mr. Stone, thank you. We had... I thought
3: we had a... I've been played for a fool. And with that, William Goebel minted a new enemy, the angry and betrayed Stone.
4: But would the risk pay off? And the
0: Democrats candidate for the Governor of Kentucky is William Goebbels. I never got
1: anything in my life that was worth having without a hard fight. And I'm always willing to make the best fight I can for anything I believe worth having. I believe the governorship of Kentucky is worth fighting for! I want merely to thank you for the nomination.
0: The Courier-Journal, June 28, 1899. With this maneuver, Goebbels stamped himself
4: a genius of political strategy. Of course, Goebbels still had to win a general election,
3: where he was up against William S. Taylor. And John Y. Brown. John Y. who? After the convention, a faction of Democrats came together to support an independent candidate john y brown having never killed a confederate veteran appealed to confederate sympathizers giving him an edge on gobel they called themselves
4: the honest election democrats which did not reflect well on gobel
3: and it didn't help that gobel continued to draw critics
4: most notably his old enemy theodore hallam who journalist irving cobb described as a battered looking
0: hard-hitting hard-drinking little irish lawyer but perhaps the greatest orator in a
3: state of natural orators. Hallam was a staunch Democrat, so much so he once declared, I would vote for a yellow dog before I vote for any Republican. After
4: Goebel won the nomination, Hallam was put to the test.
2: We cannot let William Goebel become governor of Kentucky. The man is a murderous scoundrel.
4: Mr. Hallam, is it true you said you'd vote for a yellow dog if he ran as a Democrat? I did. Why, then, do you refuse to support William Goebel now, Mr. Hallam?
2: I'll let them calm down. I admit that I said then what I now repeat, namely that when the Democratic Party of Kentucky, in convention assembled, sees fit in its wisdom to nominate a yellow dog for the governorship of this great state, I will support him. But lower than that, ye shall not drag me.
4: Goebel, of course, got word of this and dismissed Hallam as a drunkard and a debauchee.
3: Goebel certainly knew how to throw an insult. In the early 1800s, Irish people faced constant racial discrimination when it came to jobs, housing, and even in political cartoons, so calling Hallam a drunkard was a borderline racial slur. And just like today, race was going to be a big campaign issue in 1899. The voting demographics needed to win were the Confederates, who would go to Brown, and the Blacks.
4: The Black vote had historically gone to Republicans, but Governor William Bradley had recently signed the Separate Coach Act, a Jim Crow law. So, as the Democratic candidate, Goebel was able to court the Black vote.
3: A voting bloc made even more necessary by the third-party Populist Party, which drew from the poor white man support base Goebel was counting on.
4: So Goebel got a little help from William Jennings Bryant.
3: Another William?
4: <laughs> it was the name du jour. Jennings Bryant was a three-time Democrat presidential nominee, champion of the free silver movement, and amazing orator.
1: You shall not crucify
4: mankind on a cross of gold. With Jennings Bryant stumping for him, Goebel had a real chance of winning.
3: Especially when he focused his platform on taking down L&N.
4: We have in Kentucky this campaign, a parallel
1: campaign to the campaign in the United States, which made Jackson president a second time. The bank at that time had only one-tenth the capital that Louisville and Nashville has, and it was owned in the United States and not in Europe. I believe that as the people of the United States crushed Nicholas Biddle and the United States Bank, the people of Kentucky will not submit to the domination of foreign owned corporations.
4: Goebel ripped on other candidates too.
1: There are only two candidates for governor of Kentucky. There are more than that number who pretend to be candidates, but the only real candidates are the Louisville and Nashville railroad and the person who address you.
4: This did not sit well with L&N owner Milton H. Smith.
0: Every effort of the L&N corporation will be avowed against Gobel in this campaign. But sir, what about the new Pullmans? Every effort will be made to stop Gobel. If I hear one of you has voted Gobel, you can kiss your job goodbye. Uh, Yes, sir. Uh,
3: Of course, sir. Uh, Right away, sir. Gobel's rising popularity and the help of William Jennings Bryant was also the final straw for Governor Bradley who came out and supported William S. Taylor after months of non-decision.
2: And go to the polls and elect Taylor and the whole Republican ticket by a majority that cannot be counted out. Bradley called it
4: right.
3: Partially. On the night of the election, both William Goebel and William S. Taylor had enough votes to be declared governor. It was a close one. After a full count, Taylor was declared the winner, but only by 2,383 votes. The Board of
4: Elections, designed to favor Goebel, certified Taylor as the winner, and he was inaugurated on December 12, 1899.
3: However, the election results were still contested, and Kentucky's General Assembly created a committee to investigate voter fraud and illegal military intimidation of voters particularly in Louisville.
4: Sounds like the Republicans were playing dirty.
3: So were the Democrats. 10 out of 11 committee members were Democrats.
4: With the votes under investigation, a contingent of armed Republican mountain men flocked to the Capitol, ready to start a fight. Taylor, to his credit, ordered the men to go home, but of course, not everyone listened.
3: This is worse than Florida in 2000.
4: People were punchy. On January 16th, three people died after a shooting in the Capitol Hotel. Frankfurt was not safe.
3: Still, two weeks later, William Goebel insisted upon walking to the State Capitol, accompanied only by two bodyguards, Colonel Jack Chin and Colonel F. Lillard.
1: Now, Lillard, you don't really have to go ahead and check for me. I'm perfectly safe. I insist. Do you think you'll become governor, Mr. Goble? Let's wait and see what the community votes, shall we?
4: What <sighs> <coughs> in the dickens! Senator Goble? He's
0: collapsed! Get help! Are you hurt, Goebel? Did they get you? They got me this time. I guess they've killed me. We'll take you to the Capitol Hotel and call a doctor from there!
4: Soldiers marched in, blocking the entrance to the Capitol and closing off streets as Gobel underwent medical treatment.
3: He was shot once in the lung with a small caliber bullet. I really need to see Senator Gobel. I'm afraid that just can't happen. He's resting right now.
0: It's very important.
3: So is recovering from a punctured lung.
0: Official state business. I'm sorry. Hey! Senator Gobel, you have been declared governor. You'll be sworn in within the hour. Officials are on their way. Congratulations, Governor. Thank you, sir.
3: Now leave
4: me to my rest. William Goebel, on the edge of life and death, had been determined the rightful winner of the election.
3: So William Taylor called out the militia, declared a state of insurrection, and fled to London, Kentucky.
4: Well, the legislature attempted to convene to formally certify Goebel's win, but were unable to access the Capitol because armed Republicans guarded the doors. Everywhere the state senators went for the rest of the day, they were met by armed citizens. Kentucky was in disarray.
3: The nation began to panic.
4: Los
0: Angeles Herald. The Kentucky politicians resort to assassination. Senator Goebel shot by a coward in concealment. While the victim lay dying, the boards declared Goebel and Beckham
2: to be legally elected governor and lieutenant governor of Kentucky. The New York Times. Goebel is shot by an assassin, mortally wounded while going to the Capitol. City in an uproar. Republicans denounced the shooting. All Kentucky troops called out. Perpetrator of deed is unknown. The Atlanta Constitution.
1: Gobel dying of assassins shot. He has been declared governor in Taylor's stead. Climax of a dark, well-laid plot stirs Kentucky to its very center. Probably fatal shot, fired opposite the Capitol. Martial law
4: will prevail in a state of Kentucky from six o'clock this morning, so says decree. Finally, the legislature was able to convene and officially declare Goebel the governor. He was sworn in while lying in a hospital bed. There were no Republicans present at either event. I do solemnly swear,
1: or affirm as the case may be, that I will support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of this Commonwealth and be faithful and true to the Commonwealth of Kentucky.
3: Clinging to life, Goebel made his first official order.
1: As my first order, I ordered the militia to, to stand down.
3: The Republican militia ignored the orders, and in turn, a Democrat militia formed.
4: And William Taylor still acted as governor, upping his security and pardoning a man convicted of manslaughter, who penitentiary officers refused to set free. Rumors were flying. Who shot William Goebel? Who shot Governor Goebel? Why isn't the state offering a reward? We have to find the shooter. He's not gonna offer a reward because he was the one that gone and done it. I heard they've been
3: investigating 20 men. 20? Maybe more. That was yesterday.
4: Under the microscope, William S. Taylor did finally offer a reward to find Goebel's shooter.
3: Not that William Goebel ever got to see justice. He died on February 3rd, 1900, after only four days in office.
4: His last words... Tell my
1: friends to be brave, fearless, and loyal to the common people.
3: Unless you believe Irving S. Cobb's version of events, in which, having finished his last meal, the governor noted...
1: Doc, that was a damn bad
4: oyster.
3: Goebel died at 6.45 p.m. in the company of his sister and one brother.
4: The investigation into his murder was open. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message.
3: Now, the story continues.
4: Sure, there were rumors that a hit was out on William Goebel, but no one took it seriously enough to investigate until after his death.
3: As a result, 20 people were accused of killing Goebel. 16 were indicted, 5 went to trial, and 3 served time.
4: All 20 were eventually proclaimed innocent.
3: Leaving us with no known killer and a bus full of suspects.
4: The killer, or killers, shot from the third story of the State
3: House. But this was complicated, as many of the visiting Republican mountain men supporting Taylor were staying on the upper floors of the State House.
4: So the third floor was easy access. Anyone could have snuck up there.
3: And everyone was armed. Some accounts
4: say shots were fired from multiple rooms.
3: Colonel Lillard and Colonel Chin, primary witnesses, later recalled,
2: I tried to get a sight of the fellow. He kept pouring lead down on us, and I'll swear there was not a sign of anything to indicate from where he was shooting. As many shots as he made would make considerable powder smoke if ordinary cartridges were used. But never a sign of smoke could I see.
0: I looked around a mighty brief spell, but there was nothing for me to look at, so I paid attention to Goble. The fellow used smokeless powder, all right. I guess he was pretty wise to do it. Somebody might have got him if
3: they had
2: known where to look for him.
3: The first arrest was Harland Whitaker, who was seen running from the building moments after the shooting stopped.
2: Mr. Whitaker, what do you have to say for yourself?
4: I didn't do it, I swear. Go on. I was on the first floor of the building when I heard Governor Taylor tell that man Davis, the Capitol policeman, to go over at once to see General Collier. I said I would go with him, and that was where I was going. I wanted to know, too, what the shooting was about. When I stepped outside, that man grabbed me, and that is all I know about it, and that is a fact.
2: I'm sorry, sir. We have to take you into custody for further questioning.
4: Another early suspect was William S. Taylor, who fled to Indiana not long after Gobel's death.
3: Very suspicious. And he had a motive. With Goebel gone, no one would question his seat as governor, right?
4: Not exactly. With Goebel gone, his lieutenant governor, J.C.W. Beckham, filled in as interim. Taylor sued Beckham to prevent him from acting as governor. And Beckham countersued, claiming that the state capitol building and governor's mansion were government property that Taylor had no right to maintain residence in. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court. There are no federal issues at stand. The court lacks jurisdiction in this case. The lack of jurisdiction meant that the lower court's decision, that the governor's office was state property, held, and Beckham won the case. Taylor was forced to relinquish the governor's office and residence.
3: So Taylor fled to Indiana with his tail between his legs, not because he killed Goebel.
4: Perhaps. He was still a prime suspect, though. While in Indiana, Taylor was charged with conspiracy to murder, but refused to return to Kentucky for trial. And no one tracked him down? Nope. Taylor was never arrested, never tried, and instead became a successful insurance
3: executive. But get this, in 1907, journalist Fred Warren complained about Taylor never being arrested. Warren was arrested, charged with conspiracy to kidnap, sentenced to hard labor, and fined.
4: Sounds like a cover-up.
3: But if Taylor couldn't hold the governorship, why would he have killed Goebel? Revenge?
4: It's possible, especially considering that several members of Taylor's staff were tried for murder. Chief? We found something. Yes? It appears, based
2: on the angle the bullet struck Goebel and his position on the lawn, as well as through the eyewitness account, that the bullet was fired from the Secretary of State's office. That's Caleb Powers. Bring him in. Secretary Powers, you're under arrest for the murder of William Goebel. Me? I wasn't even in the building. I have an alibi. The charges stand. Anything you say can and will be used against you.
3: After some investigation, it was found likely that Caleb Powers, while not having physically fired the gun, had masterminded the murder. Like William Taylor, Powers stood to lose his job if Goebel was declared governor. So he too had a motive. So who fired the gun for Powers? Well, according to the police theory, Jim Howard... Howard had recently killed a man in a family feud and sought a pardon from William Taylor.
4: So Howard was blackmailed
3: into it. In this theory. The other person suspected of shooting under Powers' orders was Henry Utzi, a mentally challenged stenographer. But the
4: information was muddy. So many men were thought to be involved, any of them could have fired the fatal shot.
3: So the interrogations began and were fruitless for the prosecution.
1: We need to talk to Powers' aides. They will know everything. Sir, we've interrogated all of them, nothing. Well, you haven't offered them anything yet, have you?
2: What do you know about Caleb Powers' involvement in the murder of William Goebel? Nothing.
1: See? The state will offer you immunity from any and all charges if you testify.
0: Where do I sign for the immunity? Just here. Powers asked us to find armed men and bring them to Frankfurt.
4: Why? He wanted them to kill William Goebel. Two more of Powers' aides were offered immunity in exchange for testimony, and all three swore that Powers had told them to bring armed men to Frankfurt to kill Goebel and his supporters. But none of them knew who shot Goebel. After months of investigation, five men were taken to trial. Caleb Powers, Henry Utzi, Jim Howard, Barry Howard, and Captain Garnet D. Ripley.
3: Barry Howard and Captain Ripley were quickly acquitted. The other three took longer.
4: Next to trial was Henry Utzi, the Brendan Dassey of the case. During Utzi's trial, Arthur Goebel, William's brother, took the stand. Have you ever had a conversation with
2: Henry E. Utzi, the accused? I have. Where at and at what time? On the day of his arrest and on the second floor of the county jail. I was out of the city at the time he was arrested. When I returned thereafter, I.
4: It is a lie. I never had a conversation with that man in my life. I will not stand here and hear my life sworn away. I have no blood on my hands. I am innocent. He he, he cannot swear my life away. Henry,
3: you must let me
4: go. I, I will not.
3: <gasps> he hit his own wife. Uh, Mr. Oopsie. I hope you are satisfied, Arthur Gobel.
1: You have killed my husband!
4: <laughs>
1: Here now, Mr. Utzi.
4: Utzi buckled under the enormous pressure of the court and confessed. The Chicago
0: Tribune, October 21st, 1900. Henry Utzi has been adjudged guilty of the murder of William Goble and sentenced to life imprisonment. The trial, which has ended thus, is in some respects unique and does not reflect much credit on the Kentucky justice system. The fact that this is the third of the global murder trials in which a jury was made up of a preponderance of democratic jurors is not reassuring. But the unique feature of the case is found in the unexpected and difficult questions of court practice, which Judge Cantrell was called upon to decide, owing to the unprecedented mental and physical collapse of the prisoner
4: during the trial. Once again, a partisan jury.
3: Even after his death, Gobel had the system rigged.
4: A mostly Democrat jury was much more likely to convict an innocent Republican, which cast Utzi's conviction into even further shadow.
3: Due to his mental breakdown and possible handicap, Utsi's confession was questionable.
4: However, it was the best evidence, besides the aide's testimony for Jim Howard's involvement, and with that, Jim Howard to hang, convicted at Frankfurt
0: of the murder of William Goebel, wept when taken back to jail. Witnesses who, it is charged, were in global conspiracy and who gave evidence to save themselves.
4: But he didn't hang. Howard was tried two more times and sentenced to life in prison. Also tried multiple times, Caleb Powers. Who was sentenced to death on his second trial and appealed it. Three more trials convicted Powers twice and the third had a hung jury. So Powers was sent to prison.
3: Three men found guilty, two imprisoned, one facing death, Sounds like a homicide case solved.
4: For a brief time. And then Kentucky elected a Republican governor.
3: Augustus E. Wilson succeeded J.C.W. Beckham and quickly pardoned both powers and Howard.
4: That sounds fishy.
3: Only as fishy as Judge James Cantrell, who presided over the convictions of all three men, after he was the one to swear William Goebel in as governor on his deathbed.
4: So you think this cancel guy just wanted to
3: convict Republicans? Well, that's what Governor Wilson thought. He left only Henry Utzi in prison. Governor Wilson believed him to have been a mentally unbalanced lone shooter.
4: Except Utzi was also pardoned in 1918.
3: So we've gone from 20 official suspects to zero.
4: It could have been any of them. Or it could have been someone the police didn't investigate.
3: Right, like Theodore Hallam.
4: He did have a strong and public hatred for Goebel, but would it drive him to murder?
3: Or Milton H. Smith, the railroad magnet.
4: He and the L&N stood to lose millions if Goebel took office. Definitely possible. Selfish, but possible.
3: Or William Stone still reeling from Goebel breaking their political alliance.
4: And betrayal stings, but probably not enough to cause a revenge murder in this particular case.
3: Or it even could have been a hate crime. Goebel was the only unmarried governor Kentucky ever had. And in 1900, unmarried usually meant gay.
4: He did have that very close relationship with his mentor, John W. Stevenson.
3: And we all know how the South felt about gay people back then.
4: But, of course, it could have been any agent of William S. Taylor who managed to get away with it, or another Republican altogether.
3: Many people had motives to kill William Goebel, but unfortunately, there was so little evidence that theories cannot be backed up beyond motivation. Hence, the later acquittal of all men convicted.
4: Who do you think murdered William Goebel? Weigh in on our Twitter poll at Parcast Network with your theory. After careful analysis of the evidence, we think William Goebel was murdered by... Khalid Powers.
3: The murder was certainly motivated by passion and anger.
4: While tragic, his death actually eased the political tension in Kentucky and stopped what could have been a state civil war from breaking out.
3: On the flip side, Kentucky lost progressive momentum without a boss like Goebel in charge.
4: Love him or hate him, William Goebel was a true man of the people. He spoke for the poor, hurt, and angry, and he wasn't afraid to piss anyone off. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory.
3: Or through our website, parcast.com. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com.
4: Join the conversation on our ParCast Facebook page.
3: You can tweet us at Parcast Network. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T Network.
4: Thank you for listening.
3: And we hope you'll join us again. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends.
4: New episodes come out every Tuesday. Join us next time for Jack the Stripper. I'm Carter Roy.
3: And I'm Wendy McKenzie.
4: We'll see you next time.
3: If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It's produced by Ron and Max Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, and written by Maggie Admeyer. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Stephen Pinto, Gregory Poulsen, and Vanessa Richardson.